You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We confessed our sins. We asked for forgiveness. We repented of our sins. And we believed in the relationship with our Heavenly Father. All because we placed our hope and our trust in the resurrected Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, who suffered and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Who was dead, buried, raised from the grave. And now sits on the right hand of God the Father. At that moment, at that point of faith, we became one with Christ. We became one with the Father became one with other Christians. As Pastor Dave continues his teaching series through the book of Acts, he'll be reminding you that as a Christian, you are one with Jesus. The moment you receive the forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus' sacrifice, you were filled with the Holy Spirit who sealed you until the day of redemption. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 5 as he continues his message, Point of Faith. This unity comes from the fear of God, and it's present in our lives as we submit one to another in love. There is unity. When I think and esteem you more highly than myself, when I look out for your interest above mine, when I become others-centered, the love of Jesus Christ is spread, and it's spread throughout the entire church, and there's a unity there. There's a unity. We become one. I place your knees before me. I become others-centered. Paul says, talks about this oneness in Romans 12, verse 5. He says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Here we go, back to the truth project, the unio mystica, the mystery of us in Christ and Christ in us and us in each other. It's a mystery. We don't understand it, but we praise God for it because it's biblical and God says this is who we are. Jesus prayed that I and the Father are one, just like you and me are one, and they are one. We're all one together, this mystery. So here we are. We're put in the body of Christ, and each of us has our own function. Each of us has something to do. He's talking about, like us at Calvary Chapel here, being part of a general body of Christ, a general body, a whole body. The other churches, you know, the other denominations, anyone who's declared Jesus Christ as their Savior and has accepted his sacrifice on the cross as forgiveness of sin is our brother and sister. We are conjoined with them in a oneness. We have a oneness with them. And we shouldn't think that it's a competition. We shouldn't be biting and devouring and destroying one another. We need to identify who the enemy is, and we need to be banding together to destroying and devouring him. We need to be putting him down and not ourselves down. We're all members of one another, and we're members of God, and he has a purpose for those other churches. We find ourselves in conflict and trying to find out what's wrong with them. That's the Lord's job to determine. I can't determine what's wrong with them. I got to determine what's wrong with me. I got to look within me to find out what's wrong. I can't go around looking, oh, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Well, I have to look within me. In 1 Corinthians 11 31, it says, For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And sometimes we find ourselves, you know, we're in the mood, we're so busy trying to examine the flaws of everybody else that we can completely ignore our own. 
David in, in Psalm 139 said, search me, O God. David didn't say, oh God, search the guy next to me and show me what's wrong with him. No, David said, search me. Show me my wickedness. Show me the way. Show me the path. I got to take care of my judgment in here. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It's a personal thing. And it's something should be all quite interesting so that God can do the work he wants to do within our hearts. We're all members. We're all one together. And we're all here today. And it's true, corporately, the body of Christ. And we all have to recognize and realize that God has placed us here with various positions. Somebody's given pastors, teachers. Somebody's called to be deacons. Somebody's called to be elders. Somebody's called to be intercessors. Somebody's called to street evangelism. And yes, somebody's called to children's ministry. Some he has called to children's ministry. And we're to take our place in the body. We're to fill our part. We're to do our part. We're realizing that the body is coordinated by who? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's coordinating the body of Christ, not us. And as we walk in this love, we demonstrate to Christ to the world. The love that we have for one another, the love that we need for one another, it's demonstrated to the world. And our united efforts become Jesus Christ, each of us taking our place, doing our part. What a powerful witness to the world. What a powerful witness to the world when they see how harmoniously we live together, how harmoniously we function as God's children. When they see Christ among us and where Christ magnified in us, who do they want? They want Christ. So we, being many, are still one body of Christ. We're all one part, each doing our own thing. Unio mystica, it's called. This is what is happening in the early church. The oneness that Luke mentions here, the body of Christ working together with a common goal. And that common goal is that Christ would be magnified. The common goal of the church, Christ would be magnified. No man's magnified, but Jesus Christ is magnified. He's magnified to a dying world, and if magnified and lifted up, he will draw men and women to himself. It's his job to draw them in. The new church doesn't present a bickering church, a quarreling church. The only thing they can attract are flies. We don't want that kind of a church. No one wants to be part of that kind of a church. But a church that genuinely loves each other in trueness and in spirit, everybody wants to be a part of that kind of a church. Now because of the death of Ananias and Sapphira, not many people wanted to join this church, although they thought highly of them. They esteemed them, it says. They didn't want to be a part of this small group. Look at verse 13. Yet none of the rest there joined them, but the people esteemed them highly. So, in spite of the miracles, the same people who were being healed were too afraid to join the fellowship of the saints, and they didn't want to be numbered with the believers. They were afraid. Why do you think they were afraid? I think they were afraid because they didn't want to commit themselves to Jesus Christ. They didn't want to truly commit themselves to Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ at all costs. It takes a lot to follow Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, count the cost. You want to be my disciple? Count the cost. It's not just a free ride. You've got to count the cost. There is a cost to being a disciple. But these people wanted a free ride. It's very similar to the people who hung around Jesus just for a good meal. There are many, many people who just hung around Jesus because he knew sooner or later he's going to get hungry. And when he eats, we all eat. So a lot of people just hung around him for that. And they wanted to be part of the free meal wagon. Many people like church people. Many people like to hang around church people because they know how we feel about the Bible. And they know that if I hang around you long enough, well, you're going to give me a donation or you're going to feed me or something's good's going to happen. But they don't want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. They don't want to make that commitment. They don't want to come overboard. They don't want to, I don't want to be a Jesus freak. Oh my gosh. I don't want to be labeled with you. People like church people, but they don't dare join them. They don't dare join them. Huh. This Ananias and Sapphira incident would definitely cut down on the commitment thing. 
would definitely cut down on the commitment thing. Would definitely take some problems there. In verse 14, we see that there still was an increase in believers coming into the church. They were coming into the Lord. Listen to this. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. What I see here is that although people were afraid to join the new church, meeting on Solomon porch, these new believers were continually being added. And look what it says. It doesn't say being added to the church. It doesn't say being added to a person. It doesn't say being added to a movement. It says being added to the Lord. They were being added to God himself. They were being added to him. He was drawing them in. And they were identifying with him. They didn't want to be identified with this tight group for fear that they might be cast off, for fear that they might do something wrong and be struck dead. But they were being added to the body. As a result of this great manifestation of love that was exhibited by these new believers, multitudes came to the faith in Jesus Christ. What an exciting time this had to be. Can you imagine what this looked like? Can you imagine? This is several thousand people. This is not just one or two. You know, if we had an altar call today, it would be wonderful if one or two people came down and accepted the Lord, and we would be cheering, and we'd be praising heaven, and we'd be right to do so. But can you imagine thousands at a time? Think back on when you first accepted the Lord. Think about the excitement that you had. Think about the eagerness that you wanted to serve God. Think about the eagerness that you wanted to read His Word. Think about how you wanted to spend and know everything you could about them, and you knew the Word of God was true, and you wanted to get in there and dig it around. Think of that excitement that you had. Think of how much fun you have. Now multiply that by about five to 6,000, and that's what the apostles were dealing with. They had all these people who were so excited. No wonder the Lord was adding to their ministry. And one thing about the new Christian, can they never tell people enough about Jesus Christ? The new Christian is always out there. Look what Christ did for me. You got to know. You got to believe. That's what the new Christian's doing. No wonder the Lord was adding to the church, but he was adding to himself the oneness, the oneness. So we see this great power being manifested through the hands of the apostles by signs and wonders. We see this great unity being among the brethren manifested by love. And we finally, we see God's great grace and mercy continually being poured out onto all people, including the surrounding cities through these healings and these casting out of demonic and tormented people. These demons, look in verse 15 and 16, we read where people would bring out their sick into the streets so that the shadow of Peter would fall on them. Verses 15 and 16, so that they brought the sick out of the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. These people brought out their sick friends and placed them into the path of Peter shadow, in hopes that they would be healed. Peter's shadow became a point of faith for them. Peter's shadow became a point of contact of their faith. And when I read this, I was immediately reminded of that beautiful, beautiful woman of the issue of blood for 12 years in Luke 8. If she, you remember the story, this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. No one could touch her because she was unclean. Can you imagine being married? Her husband couldn't touch her for 12 years because she was unclean. She had to live by herself, eat by herself. She couldn't do anything for 12 years because of this issue of blood she has. Because everybody, every time somebody saw her, they would yell, unclean, unclean. They would run away. She was destitute. She was degraded. She was humiliated. She didn't know what to do. And then she heard Jesus was coming to town. And she thought, you know, if I could just, if I could just touch the hem of his robe... If I could just reach out and touch the hem of his robe, I might be healed. That's what she believed. She believed in Jesus Christ. The hem of his robe became a contact point for her, of her faith. 
It became a contact point, just like Peter's shadow became a contact point for these people who needed to be healed. Jesus is walking through the crowd, and it's mobbed, and everybody's reaching for him. Jesus, yay, and they're calling his name, and he's walking through the crowd. And all of a sudden, he stops, it says in, in Luke 8, 45. Jesus stops, he said, who touched me? And the disciples, I, I would love to see their faces. They turn around like, uh, Jesus, we're in a crowd of about 9,000 people. Everybody's reaching for you. Uh, who didn't touch you? You know, I could just see their faces. Peter probably said that, you know, impetuous Peter. Come on, Lord. But the Lord said, no, somebody touched me. He said, for I perceive power going out of me in Luke 8, 46. And he turned around, and there was this woman. She was just humbled before the Lord, and she's just sitting there. And she's afraid because she knows he's a great teacher. She knows there's something different about this guy. And she knows, and she's afraid. Why? She's afraid he's going to say, you unclean thing, get away from me. How dare you be in the midst of all these people? Get away, you unclean thing. Same thing she's heard for 12 years. And she cowered there, and she was, she was crying out to the Lord, help me, help me. Jesus looked at her, and she explains to him. She explains to him. Now, when, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all people that the reason she touched him and show how she was healed immediately. She had been healed immediately. Jesus looked at her, and what did he say? He didn't say go away. He didn't call unclean. First of all, he calls her daughter. Oh, how her heart must have broken when he called her daughter. A tender word from our loving Savior, how her heart must have just shattered when somebody showed compassion to her. Twelve years, nobody has showed her any compassion. And he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her faith had made her well. She wasn't following Jesus for a meal. She wasn't following to be seen with him. She wasn't following him to say, hey, look, you know, like those people on TV, you see them up there in the ball games, the person trying to bat, they're on the phone going, she wasn't looking for notoriety. She wasn't looking for anything. She knew what Jesus could do. She believed in him. She believed that he could heal her. The people pulling men and women on couches into Peter's shadow, they believed something. Now, it doesn't say whether they were healed or not, but we have to assume many were because the next verse tells us that many were. We don't know this for sure. It doesn't say they were healed by Peter's shadow, so we're, it's kind of vague there, but we have to make this assumption that people were healed, her healing was complete. Jesus knew it, and she knew it. Her healing was complete. Then the Lord asked her to give a testimony. He gives her to give, why do you think he asked her to give a testimony? I think, first of all, public confession was good for her. It was an opportunity for her to confess the Lord and glorify God. And her witness was a witness as a rebuke to the crowd, as a rebuke to the crowd that was surrounding Jesus. You know, you can be a part of the crowd. You can hang out with the right people. You can be a part of a crowd. You can even be a part of a church. And you might not ever get the blessing of Jesus Christ. You might press on to Him. You might press on to Him. But have you reached out and touched the hem of His robe? Have you reached a point of faith today and have touched the hem of Jesus' robe that He can look to you and say, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you healed. I venture to say that all of us have come to a point in our lives, a point in faith, a moment in time when we truly believe in Jesus for who He is, not for what He can do for us or what we can get for Him. There comes a time when we stand before the Most Holy God and we gaze upon His face and we see Him for the first time as He truly is. And we shiver and we shake and we quake in fear because all of a sudden our sin is so apparent on our bodies. And we're standing before a Most Holy God 
Just like Isaiah, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and a nation of unclean lips. Woe is me. And we have this woe. And Jesus says, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Very interesting that when we come to Jesus and we lay our sin at his feet, Jesus does not become a sinner, but we become clean. Sir James Simpson invented chloroform. Did you know that? Well, he was dying, and a friend came to his deathbed. And the friend leaned over and said, Sir James, soon you'll be resting on the bosom of Jesus Christ. Simpson humbly replied, I don't think I can do that, but I think I have a hold of the hem of his garment. Can you hold on to his garment today? Can you have the faith just to hold on to the hem of his garment? Just to reach out and touch his hem. So we have these multitudes bringing the apostles the sick who were being tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. We have this unity that was displayed by this love that was being manifested and added by the miracles, the healing of casting out demons by the apostles. We have two really powerful witnesses going on here, the miracles and the love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this we'll all know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The multitudes recognized this love and they were drawn to Jesus. Likewise, Jesus told the disciples, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, in John 14, 12. We see the apostles doing great works in the name of Jesus, mighty works, and we rehoud every opportunity they get. They tell people about Jesus Christ. What I really like about the book of Acts is the unbridled love that the church had for one another. The unbridled love, the witnessing that they did. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. They weren't embarrassed to tell somebody that Jesus loved them. They weren't embarrassed to say, I'm a Christian. They stood up for righteousness. They believed and the Lord blessed them and blessed them and added to their church and added to himself. Their faith wasn't trumped up. Their faith was real. It wasn't hypocrisy. It was true and it was real and the Lord continued to bless them. I want to go back to this point of faith, if I can, and finish here. As I said before, that if we profess that Jesus is Lord and our Savior, there came a time in our life, a point in time when we actually believed this. It was a point of faith for us. You know, we might have been witnessed to many times. We might have been even going to church. We might have known who Jesus is. But there came a time when knowing came believing. There came a point in time in our life when we went from just knowing who Jesus to believing in who He is. You know, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different nationalities. We come from different parts of the state, different parts of the country. We had different childhoods because we all had different parents, and we grew up in different neighborhoods. We chose to make a living different ways to earn a salary. We all live different lifestyles, and our homes are decorated differently. We all have the different hobbies. We all have different likes and dislikes, whether it be entertainment, sports, or recreation. But there's a point in our lives when we came to the knowledge that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Peter came to that distinction in Matthew 16 when he said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. It was a point of faith for Peter. It was a changing point for Peter. Did he mess up after that? Absolutely. Did he fail after that? Absolutely. Was he restored after that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I believe there comes that time. Jesus is the Son, the Christ, Son of God. He is the living one, the living God. And he, he is our Savior. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
But even at this point in time, it was different for us. It was different for some of us. Some of you came at a very early age. Some of us came here dragging, kicking, and screaming. Some of us had to go through horrible hardships and horrible trials to get to this point. Just like the woman in Luke. When we were cornered. When we were destitute. When there was no place else to turn. We turned to Jesus Christ. And guess what? He was there. He was there. He didn't say, well, you had your chances. You didn't come to me before, sorry. He was there. And he accepted us just as we were. Destitute, poor, sinful, wretched. He accepted us and took us into himself. Into himself. And then he came in to us and lived. The unio mystico, the one, just as we were. When he accepted you, did he say, you have to change? No, he accepted you. And then when that fear of God came upon you, you wanted to change. You wanted to change your life. You made that choice. I'm going to change. I'm going to purge myself, and I'm going to change. That's the similarity we have. There was a point in time, a point of faith, where we knew exactly what we had to do. We confessed our sins. We asked for forgiveness. We repented of our sins. And we believed in the relationship with our Heavenly Father, all because we placed our hope and our trust in the resurrected Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father who suffered and died on a cross 2,000 years ago, who was dead and buried and raised from the grave, and now sits on the right hand of God the Father. At that moment, at that point of faith, we became one with Christ. We became one with the Father. We became one with other Christians. It may certainly have been a point in time in our lives, but it was definitely a point of faith. Where are you today? At what point are you in your life? Have you turned from knowing to believing? It's easy to say, oh, I know who Jesus is. Well, you're in good company because the demons and Satan knows who Jesus is also. That's scriptural. They call him by name. Have you gone from knowing who he is to believing who he is? Maybe you're at that point of faith today. Maybe you're destitute. Maybe you're in despair Maybe there's something going on in your life that we don't know about and you've reached the edge and you're standing on the edge and you're looking down. Brothers and sisters, stand on the edge and look up. Don't look down. Look up because today is the day of salvation. Look up into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Look up into the loving arms of a Savior who will never leave you nor forsake you, who will never cast you away, who says, come to me. Come to me. Give me that desperation. Give me that pain. I want it all. Give me your hurt, your troubles. Come to me. And most of all, give me your sins. And deposit your sins upon Jesus. He won't become a sinner, but you'll become clean. Whiter than snow, Scripture says. You'll become clean. But Dave, Dave, my faith isn't strong enough. I just can't believe in the relationship. I I can't do it. Then fine. Reach out and grab his robe. Reach out and grab his robe. If that's the only thing you can do, reach for Jesus Christ and grab the only thing you can grab. If it's his robe, so be it. Get it today. Reach out and get it. Have you touched Jesus today? Have you touched the hem of his robe today? You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. 
If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on the grace.